Today, we're continuing our series, FaceTime, asking how do we connect with God through prayer? So in this series, we're looking at what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. It's this model prayer that Jesus gives one day when his disciples come to him and they say, teacher, teach us how to pray. So Pastor Rocky kicked off the series last week looking at how when we pray, we're, we're praying to God who is not just some distant God out in space somewhere who is uninterested with us in our lives. We're praying to God who Jesus says is actually our Father. And so we're continuing this morning. Jesus goes on in the Lord's Prayer and he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who are in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So Jesus says when we pray to our Father in heaven, we pray that his name be kept holy holy. So two things we're going to be looking at today. First of all, in prayer, what does it mean that God is in heaven? And second, what does it mean that his name be kept holy? So first, Jesus says that our God, our Father, is in heaven. Now, when I was a kid, I always thought that heaven was some place, you know, that was up there. It was some place in the sky. And if you would have asked me, you know, hey, which way is heaven? I would have instinctively pointed up. But is that what Jesus is communicating here? Is Jesus saying that God is somewhere up in the sky? Is that what he means by our Father in heaven? And obviously, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying so much more than that. You see, what we see in Genesis at the beginning of the human story is that uh, before anything existed, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he made this perfect garden paradise and he created mankind and he placed them in this paradise. But what's crazy is that we get the picture in Genesis that in this perfect garden paradise, heaven and earth were united. They were one, they were unified. And God dwelt with man and they were together and God gave mankind this amazing privilege to rule and reign creation alongside of him. You see, in the beginning, there was no divide between heaven and earth. But at the fall, when Adam and Eve, our first parents, when they made that decision to reject the authority and the rule of God, it led to this fracture, this divide between heaven and earth and ultimately between God and man. You see, sinful man could no longer live alongside of a perfect God. They were then divided. And the picture that the rest of the Old Testament paints is that, that heaven and earth were divided. And at that point, man dwells on earth, but God dwells in heaven. Now, before we go any further, we need to understand that the result of the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has accomplished by his death and resurrection is that one day heaven and earth will be united again and God will once again dwell with his people forever. That is our great hope. But for now, in a way, we are here and Jesus says God is in heaven. But, but again, I don't think Jesus' main point here is that God is distant. That's not it at all because remember Jesus taught that for the believer, for his followers, God is not distant at all. Jesus promised that through the Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. So, so what is it that Jesus is communicating here by saying God is in heaven? What's he talking about? What's he trying to teach us? And I think we see the answer in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a guy who lived over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 6, he, he tells this story of this time where God gave him this vision of heaven. God opened his eyes and allowed him for a moment to see inside the very throne room of heaven. 
And Isaiah's vision, I think, gives us some great insight into why it's important that we understand our God is in heaven. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So when Isaiah sees God in heaven, what he sees is that God is sitting on a throne. The implication here is massive. Right? Isaiah doesn't see God watching Netflix. He doesn't see God somehow checked out emotionally from humankind. He doesn't even see God intently watching humankind, waiting to figure out what's going to happen next in human history because somehow God is unaware of that. That's not what Isaiah sees. Isaiah sees God on a throne, ruling and reigning above the earth. So the picture here is one of authority and of power. But but not just limited authority and power, but ultimate authority and power. Notice again there in the text, it says that when Isaiah sees the Lord, he notices that the train of God's robe fills the temple. And I think this is one of the coolest word pictures in the entire Bible. You know, as you can probably imagine, um, this point in history is incredibly bloody and violent. I mean, nations and kings and armies are constantly at war with one another. But there was this interesting custom they had. You see, whenever one army would defeat another army, the victorious king would go and get the robe from the defeated king. He would cut off part of the defeated king's robe and have it sewn onto his robe as a display of his power and victory. So when you would encounter a king in this day, you could tell how strong and how powerful and how victorious they were by the length of their robe. The longer the robe, the more enemies they had defeated. And so when Isaiah sees God, he sees that the train of God's robe fills the entire temple, that it's unending, it goes on and on and on. This is a picture that the power of God is unrivaled, that no one or no thing can ever stand against him. You see, when Jesus says that we pray our Father in heaven, I think it's this incredibly politically charged statement. Back then in the disciples' day when Jesus said our Father's in heaven, it would have been a reminder for the disciples that at the end of the day, Caesar Augustus doesn't reign over you. God is on his throne in heaven and God reigns over you. And long after Caesar is dead, God will still be on his throne. So the implication here for our prayer life is huge. Jesus is showing us here that when we come to God our Father in prayer, we're not coming to somebody who, while they may love us and care about us, and while they may have our best interests at heart, they're, they're ultimately limited in their power to hear and act on our prayers. No, that's not the picture that Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us that when we come to the Father in prayer, we are coming to the one who sits on the throne above all the rulers of the world, that he is the name above every name, the king of all kings, who has never and will never lose a battle. God is in heaven, Jesus says. This is a picture of God's authority and his rule and his reign. So Jesus says when we pray, we are praying to God who is in heaven, who rules and reigns over everything. And then Jesus moves on and we then see the first request 
of our prayers. And that's that God's name may be kept holy. Again, I think this story of Isaiah's vision of God, it gives us insight into what that is talking about. The story of Isaiah goes on in verse 2. It says, Attending God were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with His glory. So when Isaiah has this vision of heaven, there are these angelic creatures in the presence of God who night and day, nonstop, keep on declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, holy, I I think you know it, it's one of those words that's kind of a churchy word that we may say a lot, but sometimes we don't totally understand what it means. It's not a word that we use all the time outside of church. But at its most basic level, holy simply means other or separate. So what it means in this context is it it, it means transcendence. Saying God is holy is saying that God is completely transcendent from mankind. That He is altogether separate in majesty and perfection and in power. Saying that God is holy completely sets God the Creator apart from His creation. And it's interesting here, you probably noticed that the angels, they don't just cry out and say, God, you're holy. No, they cry out and they say, holy, holy, holy. You see, the the Hebrew language back in this day, they had an interesting way to add emphasis to something. You see, in in English, we just add words like extremely or very if we want to add emphasis. For instance, if... In English, I wanted to communicate how ugly purple and orange are together. I would say, man, purple and orange are extremely ugly. Now, all you Clemson fans freaking out, relax. Y'all have got all the national titles. We Carolina fans don't, so we've got to make fun of you when we can. Right, but in English, I'd say, man, purple and orange are extremely ugly. But in the Hebrew, they wouldn't say extremely ugly. If they wanted to communicate that, what they would do is they would say, man, purple and orange are ugly, ugly. You would repeat the word back to back as a way to add emphasis. Or another example, let's say you just had the best steak of your life. Like it's cooked perfect, medium, rare. It's been dry aged for 60 days. It's perfectly seasoned and seared on the outside. You would say, man, that steak was delicious, delicious. That's how you would emphasize it in the Hebrew. You would repeat the word twice. And so here's what's amazing. These creatures who are praising and worshiping God, they don't just say that he's holy. They don't even just say that he is holy, holy, which would have been the way to emphasize that in the Hebrew. They take it a step further. They are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is a way of saying that God's holiness, his transcendence, his glory and his majesty is absolutely immeasurable. Repeating something three times in the Hebrew, that's like the equivalent of like, you know, you're trying to count really high and you just say infinity. It's like the trump card. It's saying that God's holiness is so great and so grand that it can't even be measured or properly described. It can only be put on display. 
And the text says, His holiness is so great that it fills the entire world, the entire earth, with God's glory. Now, what's interesting is we keep on reading the story of Isaiah as we see that God's holiness, it's so beyond human comprehension that we can't even behold the holiness of God without terror. It goes on in verse 4, it says, Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, again, this is Isaiah talking, he said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. But then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You see, when Isaiah sees the holiness of God, he first realizes his own sinfulness. And he says, woe is me, I'm doomed, I am a dead man. But then God, in God's infinite love and grace and mercy, removes Isaiah's guilt and says, your sin is forgiven. But we've got to note, we can't miss that fact that God's holiness is so transcendent that when Isaiah first encounters it, he's terrified. It reminds me of this crazy story about Moses. One day Moses is praying and Moses says, you know, God, like I've heard you speak to me at the burning bush. I've seen you rescue your people from slavery. I've seen you split the sea into two so that we could cross. God, I've seen you do all these great things, but Moses makes this bold declaration. He says, now, God, that what I want now is, God, I want to see your face. He says, God, show me your face. And God says to Moses, Moses, you can't see my face. God says, because Moses, if you were to see my face, if you were to behold all of my glory, all of my holiness, it would kill you. But God says, here's what I'll do for you, Moses. I'll carve out a hiding place in this boulder over here and you can sit underneath the boulder and I'll cover you up with my hand and then I'll pass by you. And after I've passed you by, after I'm gone, then you can open your eyes. Then you can look and you can for a moment see my backside. And so Moses for a moment gets a glimpse of the passing backside of God. And after this encounter, when Moses comes down from a mountain, after only getting a glimpse of not even the face of God, just the back of God, it says that Moses' face was shining, that it was radiating, and that the people were terrified just from getting a glimpse of God's holiness from behind. Moses' face was shining. See, God being holy means that God is transcendent above all created things. He is to be glorified above all created things. He alone is to be the object of our worship and our adoration. So again, Jesus says, when we pray, we pray, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So for us to pray that God's name be kept holy, as Jesus says, is for us to pray that in our lives, God's name would be the name above all names. 
that he would be the only one in our lives who is high and lifted up, that he would be the only one who is worshiped, that he would be the only one who is glorified, that he would be the only one that we go to to find joy and peace and satisfaction in our lives. He alone is the one who is holy. See, the one we pray to, the God we pray to, he is the holy ruler of the universe. This is what makes prayer so profound. It's that because of what Jesus has done for us as sinful, flawed human beings, we are as sinful, flawed human beings, we are able to approach the throne of the perfect, holy ruler of all, and he welcomes us in and we can call him Father. That is profound. There's this picture that I love, and it's an old picture back from when JFK was president, and it's a picture of JFK sitting in the Oval Office, and his three-year-old son is sitting there playing underneath his desk. I love the idea that there in the most powerful room on earth, the Oval Office, the most powerful man on earth is sitting at the most powerful desk on earth. And his son is just joyfully playing under the desk. I mean, this is the resolute desk, right? This is the same desk that FDR signed the New Deal on during the Great Depression. This is the same desk that Truman would have sat at as he made that fateful decision to drop the atomic bomb. This is the desk where for good or bad, right or wrong, history had been written time and time again. And a three-year-old child is climbing around it like it's a toy. I love that picture. Because if you or I got invited to the Oval Office, right, we're going to be dressed to the nines. We're not going to be allowed to enter the room until the proper time. We're, we're going to have some sort of statement prepared that we're going to say. I mean, we are going to be on our best behavior. But I love imagining this child just wandering carelessly into the Oval Office, climbing around, shuffling papers, playing with historic artifacts, sitting under the resolute desk. I love that because you and I, we could never get away with that. The Secret Service would bust in and arrest us in a second. So how can that child get away with that? It's because of who his father is. It's because his dad is the one who is sitting at the desk. You see, it's the same for us in prayer. This is the foundation of prayer. Understanding this changes how we pray. Understanding that when we pray, we are praying to our Father who is reigning in heaven and He is holy. We are praying to a holy Father. See, we cannot lose either of those realities, right? Because Father shows us and reminds us of His loving heart. His holiness reminds us and shows us His terrifying transcendence. And we can't lose either, because if God is only Father, then while He may be loving and while He may care about us, if He was only a Father, He would be weak and impotent and not worthy of our prayers. But on the other side, if He was only holy and not Father, if He was only holy, then He would be terrifying and cruel, and we wouldn't even be able to approach Him in prayer. But God is both Father and Holy. 
So he alone is worthy of all praise and worship and adoration. And he is the only one worthy of our prayer. And because Jesus died and rose from death to pay for our sin, to conquer our sin, we can boldly approach the throne of God, our Holy Father, in prayer.